I'm John McKee, editor of Messianic Apologetics. This is Messianic Theology Explained. At least we hope so. Identity. Jewish identity and Jewishness have been attacked by religious authorities since the 2nd century CE, mainly following the death of the apostles and their immediate successors. If you do not have a copy of a Dictionary of Early Christian Beliefs in your library, I encourage you to get one. Now, this includes summarized quotations uh, from early Christian leaders on all sorts of issues. Check out its entries on Jews, Judaism, Israel. You're probably not going to like what you see. Since much of the 2nd century CE and throughout a great deal of historic Christianity... It has been held that Jewish people who acknowledge Jesus as Savior stop being Jewish, they start being Christian, and as a sign of their faith in Jesus, they are to give up their traditions, customs, give up any kind of fidelity to the Torah of Moses. In other words, Jewish people who acknowledge Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, stop being Jewish. And that has been the source of not only supersessionism, replacement theology, but also a great deal of Christian persecution of Jewish people throughout history. And it is... Reprehensible. The modern Messianic Jewish movement, which can trace its origins back to the Hebrew Christian movement of the 19th century, but the transition into Messianic Judaism was mainly seen in the 1960s and 1970s. Messianic Judaism wanted to found congregations and synagogues where Jewish believers in Yeshua did not have to Stop being Jewish. They could continue to observe Jewish traditions, Jewish culture, Jewish life cycle events. They could express support of the state of Israel. They could be involved in the Jewish community. They could stand against anti-Semitism. They could still be a part of their people. And perhaps most importantly, Messianic Jewish children did not have to assimilate into wider Christianity. And given how Jewish identity has been opposed throughout many centuries of Christian history, that Jewish identity has been a major part, preserving Jewish identity has been a major part of the Messianic Jewish experience. Now, whether you agree with some of these theological trends or not, it is also true that over the past half century or more, particularly in Pauline studies, 
there have been better attempts to want to understand the Jewish background and character of the Apostle Paul and his letters. I have a number of resources here from my library to just briefly summarize this for you. E.P. Sanders, Paul and Palestinian Judaism. One of the unfortunate conclusions of a great deal of Second Temple Judaism by historic Christian readers, in no small part due to the theology of Martin Luther, was to assume that Second Temple Judaism was quantitatively indifferent from medieval Catholicism. So medieval Catholicism believed that your works earned you a spot in heaven. The same must have been true of ancient Judaism. Jews had to work for their salvation and their place in the world to come. E.P. Sanders, among his contributions, demonstrated how That is not necessarily true of Second Temple Judaism. Moving forward more to the 1980s and into the 1990s, and this was a point of view which I was definitely exposed to uh, at seminary, uh, the new perspective of Paul. This is a resource by James D.G. Dunn called The New Perspective on Paul, a collection of some of his articles and essays on it. Another major voice frequently associated with The New Perspective of Paul is N.T. Wright. Now, one of the main thrusts of The New Perspective of Paul is addressing how righteousness or justification, as it appears in the Pauline letters, does not always or exclusively involve a declaration of innocence upon someone. Instead, righteousness or justification can, in various places in Paul, involve inclusion among God's covenant people. And how do you get into God's covenant people? Is it by circumcision? Is it by becoming a proselyte? Or is it by faith in God and the Messiah he has sent? So, the new perspective of Paul has been useful in that it requires some kind of a reevaluation of specific passages where, in the Reformation, it was believed to possibly be, well, righteousness is always a declaration of innocence upon the sinner. How do we know that in some places, Perhaps righteousness isn't more focused on inclusion in the people of God. And how do you get in? Do you get in by circumcision? Something uh, significantly addressed in Galatians. Works of law. Is that speaking of keeping the Torah, keeping the law generally? Or is it some kind of specific activities? Whether those activities are actually defined in the Torah or... Are they the halakha of a sect of ancient Judaism? Is the issue how you get into the people of God, or is it an individual being declared free of sin? So these are the factors which those who have investigated the new perspective of Paul have had to sort through. And now, and this is since 
my time in seminary, uh, there have been further proposals made by Paul within Judaism. Here is a resource, uh, Paul within Judaism, edited by Mark Nanos and Magnus Zetterholm. Uh, so this continues some of those discussions and, and mainly how uh, Paul in his letters operated from customary traditional assumptions in Second Temple Judaism. And another resource, which perhaps some of you also have, originally released in 2011, is the Jewish Annotated New Testament, which includes introductions, annotations, uh, running commentary, and different articles, mainly trying to sort through the Apostolic Scriptures New Testament with Jewish perspectives in mind. Many of the contributors are liberal theologians. Many of them are Jewish non-believers. Now, what this stack represents more than anything else, whether you agree with all the proposals of Sanders, Dunn, Paul within Judaism, the Jewish annotated New Testament, or not, academically, how do we understand figures like Paul with Jewish questions, ancient Jewish uh, issues in mind. And that is something which has not often been considered throughout a great deal of Christian history. You don't have to agree with all of the conclusions and proposals made by those in this stack right here. The issue is that Jewish heritage and identity are not meaningless, and they were not meaningless to a figure like the Apostle Paul, who is often accused, and today's Messianic community would say wrongfully, of dismissing Jewishness as meaning nothing. The Messianic Jewish movement was originally set up to be a place for Jewish evangelism, outreach, Israel solidarity, and stressing that Messianic Jews did not have to assimilate away into wider Christianity. And even though with our ministry we discuss many topics, both in the Messianic community as well as in the independent Hebrew Roots movement, whatever you think you need to see addressed, we are open to it. We've got a stack of index cards right here with growing topics for Messianic Theology Explained. It needs to be remembered that the early Messianic Jewish pioneers, some of whom are still alive today, going back to the 1960s and 1970s, they suffered an extreme amount of rejection, persecution, excommunication, and perhaps were even treated as dead by their own family members. And many of them have not fully gotten over it. If some of us had to go through that kind of trauma, would we ever fully get over it? Yet, as important as Jewish identity is, the preservation of the Jewish people, maintaining some level of Jewish distinction and uniqueness, it is doubtlessly true that 
there are Messianic Jewish people who you will encounter whose Jewishness exceeds their identity in Yeshua the Messiah. Their being Jewish perhaps is more important than their being in him. Allow me to read to you some of the observations of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, verses 2 through 10. And I'm reading them from the Tree of Life version. He said, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship by the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, and glory in Messiah Yeshua, and have not depended on the flesh, though I myself might have confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he might depend on the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the Torah, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting Messiah's community. As for Torah righteousness, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, these I have considered as loss for the sake of the Messiah. More than that, I consider all things to be loss in comparison to the surpassing value of the knowledge of Messiah Yeshua my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them garbage in order that I might gain Messiah and be found in him, not having my righteousness derived from the Torah, but one that is through trusting in Messiah, the righteousness from God based on trust. My aim is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Philippians 3, 2-10, Tree of Life Version. It's clear enough for a figure like the Apostle Paul that his identity in what Yeshua the Messiah had accomplished for him on the tree, his sacrifice, was the most important thing. Now, many throughout Christian history, and you may even know people who have concluded that in Philippians 3, 2 through 10, Paul considers his Jewish heritage to be absolutely meaningless. What did Paul compare his Jewish heritage to and his human achievements? The supreme work of Yeshua, the Messiah, and being sacrificed and resurrected from the dead. And I would offer this as an important point for you to consider. The audience of Philippians, the letter, was largely retired Roman soldiers living in the vicinity of Philippi. There was a high Roman patriotism in Philippi. And so Paul, as a Jewish person who was raised with the knowledge of the one true God of Israel, he wasn't an idolater. He said that according to Torah righteousness, he was found blameless. If he could regard all of his human achievements and pedigree as being meaningless in light of the supreme work of Yeshua, that meant for Philippians' Roman audience 
that any of their Roman achievements were even less than meaningless. And sometimes we have to be reminded of that kind of an original audience situation. All of us, spiritually, have to make sure that our central identity is in Yeshua and what he has accomplished for us in being sacrificed for our sins, resurrected from the dead, providing us the new birth, spiritual regeneration, and how we are to be conformed to his example. That doesn't mean that our natural identities, whether we're Jewish or non-Jewish, go away. But what it does mean is that those identities are to be worked around who Yeshua is. Throughout a great deal of Christian history, that has meant that Judaism is meaningless. In the Messianic community, we believe that Judaism has a very important place in the plan of God. But we cannot let Jewish identity or anyone's identity eclipse our Messiah identity. And that is an ongoing life process for all of us to understand and incorporate into our faith. On behalf of Outreach Israel Ministries and Messianic Apologetics, thank you so much for your continued prayers, encouragement, and contributions to our ministry efforts. We'll see you again next time with another edition of Messianic Theology Explained. Until then, God bless you, shalom, and take care.